You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Here's where we reach the second part of part one, the condemnation of the surrounding nations. We saw in chapter 1 through 12, the condemnation of Judah and Jerusalem. Now we're going to see the condemnation of the surrounding nations. Now, for sake of time, we're not going to be able to go through these chapters in detail. I'm just going to point out the main facts. But when you see the main facts of these chapters, it'll help you when you go through and you read it on your own. In the first 12 chapters, God has taken a lot of time to go over the reason, the method, and the ultimate goal of the punishment that he is bringing on his people. What is the reason for the punishment? Well, Israel and Judah have turned away from God in pride and rebellion. They have turned away from him. They're starting to worship idols. They're profaning God's law. They're a very outwardly religious people, but they are an inwardly rebellious people. They're relying on the strength of man rather than relying on God. They're seeking alliances with all these heathen nations rather than trusting God. Doing things their way instead of doing things God's way. When God talked to them in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he says, when you get over to this land, you're not going to make alliances with all those people. You're going to trust in me. But they're not doing that right now. So what is the method of his punishment? He says, I am going to send a nation from afar, and they are going to take you away captive. And he, again, illustrates that like a fire spreading throughout the land that you're not going to be able to escape from. But I'm doing that to bring about my ultimate goal. Zion will be a holy city. I want Jerusalem to be a holy city. I want my people to love and serve me with all of your heart. I want all nations to seek to Jerusalem for the truth and to hear about the word of the Lord at Jerusalem. And I want a king to reign over Jerusalem in righteousness and in justice. But in order to achieve that ultimate goal, what God is bringing out is, if Zion is going to be holy, I have to purge away all the people who are refusing to be holy. Judah and Jerusalem were called to be a holy people, but they followed in the footsteps of the northern kingdom of Israel. They rebelled against God. So chapters 1 through 12 are Isaiah's prophecies to Judah and Jerusalem. Now, in chapter 13 through 23, God begins to address the nations that are surrounding Israel. Now, you can bring out that map, and as I read these out, you will see where they are situated and how God is just going around and naming all of these different nations. Now, stick with me to the end because I'll tell you why these chapters are here. But in chapter 13 and 14, God names three nations. He names Babylon, and that's straight to the east, far to the east. He names Assyria, which is northeast, and then he names Palestina, which is the Philistines, which is just there to the west, right on the border of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Now, he mentions Babylon. Babylon is this young and upcoming nation. But in these chapters, God makes it clear that Babylon is going to grow. And Babylon is going to conquer many nations, but their pride will be their downfall. And that's what we read in 13 verse 11. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. There would come a day where They would be conquered by the Medes or by the Persians, and we know that's exactly what happened. And one night, the Babylonian Empire fell down. 
He names Assyria. Assyria was at the height of its power. Babylon was actually under Assyrian rule at this time. Assyria is at the height of its power, but he says Assyria is going to suffer a horrible defeat in Jerusalem. He says in my city, in my mountains, Assyria is going to be defeated. He mentions the Philistines. See, the Philistines right now were rejoicing because they were gaining a lot of victories over Judah and Israel right now. And that didn't happen under King Uzziah. King Uzziah had a lot of victories over the Philistines, but then Uzziah died, and under King Ahaz, the Philistines start winning and start taking back a lot of what King Uzziah took from them. But God prophesies through Isaiah in this chapter. He says, one day another man is going to come. He's going to rise up, and he's going to bring you down. And that we know to be Hezekiah when you read in 2 Kings. Chapter 14, verse 32, reveals God's purpose for all of this. Why is he calling out these three nations? What shall one then answer the messengers of the nations? Why is all this going to happen? So that people will know that the Lord hath founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. Chapter 15 and 16 talks about Moab, and that's their neighbors to the east. Do you see them there? Closer to the east, Moab. The Bible says within three years' time from Isaiah preaching this message, Moab's great wealth and power would be brought down to nothing in one night by an invading army. And in this prophecy, in these two chapters, Isaiah actually mourns over Moab. Because when you think about it, even though Moab was always an enemy of Israel, Moab was actually family to Israel. Moab were the descendants of Lot. David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabite. And because of this family tie, Isaiah actually calls for Moab to be kind to Israel. And he calls for the Israelites to be kind to Moab. Open up your borders to one another. You're about to go through a lot of trouble. Open up your borders to one another. Be kind to one another. And he even says in chapter 16, verse 5, In mercy shall the throne be established, and he, that great king, that messianic king, shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. And he wants Moab to be a part of that. But he knows, in verse 6, Moab's pride will cause them to reject that offer. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud even of the haughtiness of his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. And this is why their destruction is foretold in verse 14. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, Within three years, as the years of an hireling, the glory of Moab shall be contemned with all that great multitude, and the remnant shall be very small and feeble. Chapter 17 is all about Syria. Do you see Syria to the north of Israel? Now, the northern kingdom at the moment is in an alliance with Syria. Now, it says the burden of Damascus. Damascus is the capital city of Syria. Therefore, whatever God says is going to happen to Syria is going to have a direct effect upon the northern kingdom of Israel. If you're going to be partners in crime, you're going to be partners in punishment. And because Israel has forsaken God and made an alliance with Syria, both of them are going to be brought down. Look in verse 10. 
Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants and shalt set it with strange slips. In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow and in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. Certainly their alliance brought them great earthly strength. But God tells them throughout the rest of the chapter, it doesn't matter how strong you are when I am against you. And doesn't the Bible say God resisteth the proud? He says you have lifted yourself up. You're sowing all this seed and I'm going to bring it all to nothing because you have forsaken me. Chapter 18 It's talking about the land beyond Ethiopia. Look at Egypt and then look kind of south. That's where we think Isaiah is talking about here. Now, there are some chapters in the Bible that people just love to argue about. And whether you know it or not, this is one of those chapters. And uh, I was reading about, I was reading Spurgeon about Isaiah and trying to keep up with him throughout Isaiah. And speaking of different portions of Isaiah, including this one, Spurgeon said this, Upon reading my commentaries, I arose from my study perfectly confused. <laughs> so I am going to try to make things a little bit clearer here. From what I see in the chapter, this land of Ethiopia, this land beyond Ethiopia, has sent ambassadors, look in verse 2, they have sent ambassadors to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, until now. They were terrible to begin with, but or scary, frightening to begin with. You didn't mess with them to begin with hitherto, but until now, things have changed now. A nation meted out and trodden down whose land the rivers have spoiled. In other words, this land beyond Ethiopia would see the low state of Judah and Jerusalem. And they would send ambassadors to Jerusalem and try to take advantage of their condition. Perhaps try to catch them while they're weak. Perhaps to try to force them into alliance with them or into servitude with them because they knew that they were weak. To which God calls all of the nations to pay attention. In verse, uh, let me see here. In verse 3, all ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye and hear me. And God says throughout the rest of the chapter, even though it seems like I have taken my hands off for a moment, I'm still watching my people. I'm waiting and I am working. And look at what God says. He says, one day in verse 7, you won't be sending ambassadors to a nation scattered and peeled. You'll be sending a present of a nation scattered and peeled. Notice how he turns their, their language upon him. Of a nation meted out and trotted underfoot, whose lands the rivers have spoiled, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount Zion. It says, right now you're trying to take advantage of my people because they're low. But one day you will be brought low and my people will be brought up. You won't be sending ambassadors anymore. You'll be sending gifts to my people. Chapter 19. Egypt, also to the southwest. Egypt is going to be devastated by a civil war. Remember, these are all prophecies here. They're going to come to pass. 
Egypt will be devastated by a civil war. They'll seek for their gods to deliver them, but they'll be ruled over by a cruel lord and a fierce king, God says. Their precious Nile is going to dry up. The fish are going to disappear. The work is going to cease. Their wise men are going to be exposed as the fools that they are, and Judah is actually going to reign over Egypt. But God says one day, Isaiah prophesies, in fact, one day Egypt, Assyria, and Israel are all going to worship Jehovah together. Look in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 23. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian shall come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third which, with Egypt and Assyria. Even a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. That will happen one day. But for now, both Ethiopia and Egypt are doomed to suffer a great defeat. And that is what chapter 20 is about. God tells Isaiah to do something a little strange. He tells him, Isaiah, you're going to walk around barefoot and naked for three years. And that was to be a sign, that was to be a picture of how one day Assyria was going to carry away Egypt and Ethiopia as captives, naked and barefoot. Chapter 21 is all about Babylon again. He also mentioned Edom, he mentions Arabia, those are all to the southeast. Babylon is going to be conquered by the Persians. Edom and Arabia would be brought low. Chapter 22, Jerusalem itself is called out. Jerusalem would be punished and ultimately led into captivity. Now, this is where, remember what I said at the beginning? If you don't know when this is happening, it's hard to understand the what and the why. Write down that by the time chapter 22 comes along, Hezekiah is in rule. That is important to know. Because when we read 2 Kings and when we read 2 Chronicles, we get to see what is happening right now in the history of Hezekiah's reign. Now, Hezekiah is a good king. But he made mistakes, and uh, Isaiah calls him out on those mistakes. But in chapter 22, Jerusalem is going to, is, has a prophecy. Jerusalem is going to be punished and ultimately led into captivity. And what we have in chapter 22 is a prophecy of Assyria's first invasion of Judah and Jerusalem. And even though Hezekiah is going to do much to repair the walls and to build towers and to defend against Assyria, and you can read in 2 Chronicles 32, that's exactly what he does. The people of Judah still refuse to humble themselves before the Lord. And according to history, we know that even though Hezekiah was building up all these walls and building these towers and he's telling his people, uh, don't be afraid of the Assyrians, the entire time he's telling them that, he's reaching out to Egypt to make an alliance. Look in verse 9 of chapter 22. Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many. And ye gathered together the waters of the lower pool. It's difficult when you're reading prophecy. He's talking about this like it's already happened, but it hasn't happened yet. Okay? You're going to see these breaches and you're going to repair them. Verse 10. You have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses have ye broken down to fortify the wall. That's exactly what Hezekiah would eventually do. Verse 11, you made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked unto the maker thereof. 
Neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. And in that day did the Lord of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. The enemy is at the gate. You need to turn to me and trust me. But what did they do in verse 13? And behold, joy and gladness. Slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. Complete rebellion. One of the leaders named Shebna in the rest of the chapter you can read about on your own. In a blatant act of defiance against Isaiah's prophecy, he builds himself this large tomb. He's the treasurer of Judah. He builds himself this large tomb, basically saying, Isaiah is prophesying that we're all going to be taken into captivity. I am so sure that we're going to be here. I'm going to build my tomb and my family's tomb right here in Jerusalem. And God prophesies through Isaiah, someone's going to take your office. You are going to be brought down. And it happens. You can read about it later in the book. But we just don't have time to go through it all. Chapter 23. Tyre. Tyre and Sidon. While all of these other nations, do you see Tyre? It's kind of, I think, just to the north of uh, the Philistines. Not quite as north as Syria. Right there along the coasts of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Tyre and Sidon, while all of these other nations are fighting and warring with, another, with one another, they are creating the demand for war. Tyre and Sidon are supplying that demand. Look at what verse three, look at what God calls them in verse three of chapter 23. She is a mart of nations. But God says their ships are going to cease to sail. They would be forgotten for 70 years. After 70 years, they would again return to their wicked trade and commerce, but God is going to take all of their profits for himself. Now, why do we have these chapters in Isaiah? A couple different reasons. First of all, when all of this comes to pass, people are going to have to know God has been in control of everything this entire time. Let me tell you what's going to happen to Assyria. Assyria, you're going to lose at Jerusalem. Syria, you're going to be overtaken by Assyria, and that's going to take over the, uh, that's going to um, affect the northern kingdom of Israel. Egypt and Ethiopia, you look strong right now, but you're going to be taken away captive. And he tells all these people what is going to happen. And when it comes true, they will know that God is God, and they will know that Isaiah is a true prophet. So that's very important. But here's another reason. It is to show that God had a problem with each of these nations. And the problem was that they have each filled themselves with pride. And the pride led to wickedness. Look in chapter 23, verse 9. The Lord of hosts hath purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. And I think if you could put quotes in your Bible, honorable would be in quotes. We're going to bring all of you down. These chapters show how God is using all of these nations and cities. And even using their evil to bring about his ultimate goal. Israel had turned away from their faith in God and started worshiping idols, serving them, living like the surrounding nations. So God starts using the surrounding nations to punish his people, which then leads these surrounding nations to begin believing that Jehovah wasn't real. 
and that he didn't care for his people and that their gods were more powerful than him. And there's even instances where the, Is the Israelites saying, wow, the Assyrians are winning so many battles. Let's start worshiping their gods. And that's why God tells each of these nations in these chapters, I am still in control of everything. And in that day, all the proud nations of the earth are going to be brought low. And my king is going to reign over all of you in Zion. And in these chapters addressed to the surrounding nations, God is teaching three valuable lessons. We'll go over this real quick. First of all, he's teaching his people, don't think that making alliances with all these other nations is going to help you any. The northern kingdom of Israel is in alliance with Syria, and Isaiah is prophesying Syria is going to be brought down. The entire time that Hezekiah is ruling and Ahaz is ruling, they're trying to convince Egypt to help them. But chapter 20 gives a, a clear prophecy Egypt and Ethiopia are going to be led captive themselves. So why are you going to try to make an alliance with them? The second thing he's trying to do is he's, he's condemning the rebellious. Because if he is going to punish the heathen nations around them for their pride, how much more is he going to punish his people who know better and are still turning away from him? But then he wants to comfort the remnant. Although God is going to use these surrounding nations to punish his people, he's eventually going to punish those nations as well. And the remnant will survive if you humble yourself and you trust him during that time. Take your punishment, humble yourself, and trust me, and you will make it through. And chapter 24 reiterates these lessons, really chapter 24 through 27. The fire of God's judgment is going to spread to everybody. The earth has shown itself to be wicked. Look in verse 6. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Yet as the fire of judgment is sweeping, Isaiah sees hope. Look at what he says in verse 15. Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires. Yes, that fire is spreading. But why don't you glorify the Lord that he is using it to purify you and humble yourself and be patient throughout it all. And when Isaiah sees God's mercy that is coming through, even his punishment, what does Habakkuk say? Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And the Lord always does that. He bursts into song in chapter 25. Chapter 25 is a song, and chapter 26 and 27 is a song. Chapter 25, he thanks God for dealing with the wickedness of the world. You know what he's thanking? God, thank you that you are holy. He thanks God for defending the poor and, need, the poor and needy. He says, God, thank you that you're just. He thanks God for sparing the remnant of his people. He says, God, thank you that you're merciful. He thanks God for promising a king to conquer death. This is where we get that verse, he will swallow up death in victory. It says, God, thank you that your king will conquer death and save your people. It says, God, thank you for your faithfulness. Look in chapter 25, verse 11 and 12. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. And the fortress of the high fort of thy wall shall he bring down. Lay low and bring to the ground, even to the dust. Chapter 26 and 27 is a, a song that Isaiah wrote for the remnant of people who will see the day when the king reigns.
And it's a song of thanksgiving and trust and confession and praise. And he says, even though this song can't be sung just yet, just be patient. Be patient. You will sing it one day. In chapter 27, the song continues, and it's all about how this king is going to have victory over the serpent. In that day, God's people will be like a vineyard, but this vineyard is nothing like the vineyard of chapter 5. Remember the vineyard in chapter 5 that everything was done for it, and yet it still turned out wrong? He says, I'm going to make you a vineyard again, but this vineyard is going to be different. This vineyard is going to be wholly watched over and tended by God himself. And he says, anybody who tries to harm my vineyard, I will destroy you. And Isaiah asks a very important question. Because this day of victory has not come yet. Right now, it's a day of horrible punishment. But Isaiah basically asks the question, is God's punishment more than we deserve? Is God doing to us anything that we haven't done to him? Yes, he is punishing us, but he is punishing us in measure. He talks to the ladies of the land. He says, ladies, your attitude towards God's punishment is going to be very important. Remember, ladies, what I told you. The, the morality of a nation is set by the women. When mom's attitude isn't right in the home, nobody's attitude will be right in the home. And here, he's not rebuking the ladies any more than he is showing the ladies their importance in nation. And he says, don't be indifferent to this punishment. Be patient. Make sure that you show people you have the right heart towards it all. And even though God's punishment will last for a while, it's not going to last forever. It's going to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. It's going to teach what it needs to teach. But his ultimate goal is what? Set up a king in a holy city where all nations can come and rule over a holy people. And that he can do it in righteousness and injustice. Now, just in case we missed the main message of Isaiah 1 all the way through 27, look at the words that chapter 28 begins with. Woe to the crown of pride. Now, chapter 28, chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31, and chapter 33 all begin with the word woe. And in verse 28, God is condemning Israel's desire to trust in man rather than God. He says, the crown of pride shall be trodden under feet. In that day, he says in verse 5, in that day, the Lord of hosts shall be for a crown of glory. Let me ask you, church, what crown do you want to wear? Do you want to wear a crown of pride? Or do we want to cast a crown of glory at Jesus' feet? He refers to their dependence on man as a covenant with death. He says, I'm going to disannul that covenant. And in that day, you will see how trusting in man will never save you. Chapter 29, he says, your pride is going to be suddenly cut down. Yet through it all, God is going to protect them from being completely destroyed. As of now, Judah is still looking for deliverance from man. Hezekiah is still reaching out to Egypt for an alliance. So chapter 30 and 31 are all about Egypt. It says, woe be unto you who go to Egypt rather than coming to me. He says, in that day, nobody is going to be relying on other nations. Nobody is going to be relying on idols. Everybody is going to serve the king of kings. He says, behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Chapter 32 begins. 
A king shall reign in righteousness, and princes, princes shall rule in judgment. He says in chapter 2, everything's going to be different in that day. It's going to be a lot different than it is now. Evil will actually be called evil. Good will actually be called good. People will actually seek the truth. And they'll see the truth, and they'll hear the truth, and they'll understand the truth, and they'll speak the truth. Excuse me, I got ahead of myself. Here is where he gives the special message to the ladies in verse 9 through 14, but it's for the same reason. And he says, that day will come where God will pour out his spirit and there will be peace and justice in the land. The fifth and final woe is given in chapter 33. Woe to thee that spoilest and thou wast not spoiled. It's a rebuke against those who have treated others unfairly. More specifically, it's a prophecy of, of Assyria's second invasion into Judah. So they've already had the first one. Well, they, they, he's already prophesied about it. This is a prophecy about the second one. Hezekiah has already had to pay tribute to Assyria. The reason Assyria invaded in the first place is because Hezekiah stopped paying tribute. Because he was expecting Egypt to come and save them. So Assyria surrounds Judah and Jerusalem, and there he's saying, don't worry about him, Egypt is coming, and Egypt never comes. So Hezekiah in 2 Kings has to say, I've offended. You tell me what I need to do, and I will do it. And Assyria says, 30 shekels of gold and 300 shekels of silver. And that wasn't just a one-time payment. That's a tribute that he has to pay. But Assyria keeps hearing that they're reaching down to Egypt. So Assyria sends another invasion, or they're going to send another invasion. And Isaiah prophesies in this chapter, if my people, if God's people will humble themselves and rely on God, they would be given a miraculous victory. And they will see that God is their king. And in chapter 34 and 35, God gives one final message of warning. And one final message of hope before the end of this first part of Isaiah here. And the warning is this. I will destroy all proud nations of the earth. Not just Babylon, not just Assyria. Any nation that lifts up itself in pride, I will bring you down. But the mercy and hope is this. I will use that punishment to purify and bring about salvation to those who trust in me. And what we have in chapter 36 through 39 is a perfect example of both of those scenarios. In chapter 36 and 37, Assyria besieges Jerusalem. They actually knock on the gates of the city and say, we're coming in. It doesn't matter how long it takes. And we are taking your city down. Now, they've already done this before. But Hezekiah actually listens this time. He listens to Isaiah's word. He humbles himself. They put on sackcloth and ashes, and they pray to the Lord. And in one night, one angel destroys 185,000 Assyrians, and Assyria flees away. What a perfect example. Hezekiah, when you trust in me, when you humble yourself before me, I will save you. I will spare you. But you know what happens in chapter 38 and 39? Hezekiah becomes sick. Now, he ends up getting better because he prays to the Lord. The Lord gives him 15 more years. But what does he do with that 15 more years? 
this upcoming nation of Babylon to the east sends a gift. It says, Hezekiah, congratulations on getting better. And Hezekiah likes it. The Bible says it made him feel good. So he takes these Babylonians through his entire kingdom and shows them everything. Here are all of our soldiers, all of our armory, all of our supplies, everything. Now, why do you think he's doing that? He wants Babylon to see, hey, we can join together. He wants an alliance. He wants Babylon to see them as a worthy partner. Isaiah shows up and says, what have you done? What have you showed them? I showed them everything. What was, why, was, why was that such a telltale answer? Because Hezekiah, why else would you show another nation everything? That was Hezekiah's way of saying, I, want, I showed them everything to impress them. And he says, well, guess what? Now Babylon, the one that you are trying to get into connection with, is going to come and take everything from you. And a hundred years later, that is exactly what happens. So church, we're going to come down to the end now. There is so much in here that we didn't go over. You're going to need to read it for yourself. But what do we learn from this? Isaiah has brought out from the beginning, God's word must have an effect upon your life. It will have an effect. When God speaks, you must respond. You don't have a choice. You will respond. When God punishes, you will react. If somebody ever asks, how do I know when God's punishing me? And you will either let God's word draw you closer, or you will make God's word drive you further away but you have to make a choice. God's punishment will either destroy you or it will purify you. The same fire that destroys purifies. Think about what happens. It all depends on what? It all depends on how your attitude is towards it. Will you react to God's word? Will you react to God's, to God's punishment in pride? Or will you react to it in humility? That is the question. Because think of what happened in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah had that vision of the heavenly throne room. And all throughout Isaiah, he's talking about how this fire is going to destroy, 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 destroy the proud, destroy the proud, destroy the proud, burn the proud. Isaiah sees God high and lifted up with the angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And what does that angel take? He takes a coal, a burning fire, and he puts it to the lips of Isaiah. But Isaiah isn't destroyed. He says, your iniquity has been purged because he reacted with humility. So how will we react? So many of the people on that day, as it is today, were rebelling against God in pride rather than repenting in humility. The northern kingdom of Israel, we don't need God. We have Syria. Judah says, we don't need God. We're, we're going to have Egypt come up. 
Hezekiah says, I don't need God if I can get Babylon, uh, Babylon on my side. Assyria, look at all we've done. Look at our great empire. God says, you're, you're, like a, you're like a broom in my hand. Will the broom look up and say to the person who holds it, look at all that I'm doing? Babylon says, look at our great empire. Do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said? Look at all that I have built. And God says, for seven years now, you're going to be among the, the animals. And what does Nebuchadnezzar finally say? Those who are proud, he is able to abase. Throughout the whole book of Isaiah so far, God is saying over and over and over, I hate pride. I hate it. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look. And that's why in that day, God says, there will be no pride. When the king of kings reigns, there will be no pride. You cannot look in the eyes of our Savior and keep your pride. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why the Bible says in James 4, 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Matthew 23, 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Proverbs 3, 34, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. 1 Peter 5, 5, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Psalm 138, 6, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. One day, the King of kings is going to reign over all nations. And even today, the Bible says, The kingdom of heaven is within you. And church, if Jesus is going to reign over you, you cannot reign over yourself in pride. If Jesus is going to reign over us, we must lower ourselves. When Joshua saw that man with his sword drawn, he says, are you serving them or are you serving us? And he said, neither. I came as a captain. And what did Joshua do? He got low and he got low quick. When Moses walked up to that burning bush and he didn't know what it was, what did God tell him? Take your shoes off. You're too high. Get low. You're in the presence of I am. And do we expect, do we expect to be okay with God reigning over us for eternity when we're not even okay with it now? When we live in pride now? God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. And the tru this truth is going to be illustrated even more clearly in chapter 40 through 66. But it's no surprise that so many people are wrong with God today because we have too much pride. We, we, we refuse to humble ourselves. You know why we won't repent? Our pride. You know why we won't go and get things right with our brother? Pride. You know why we won't come down to an altar and kneel and say, Lord, this is my decision. You have spoken to me. Pride. You know why many people will sit out. Many people will go to hell from a church pew. Pride. How many of you sat in church for years and years and years unsaved? Wondering, what will they think of me? Aren't you glad that God was merciful enough? to lower you in that day. You know why we won't get right with the Lord? It takes humility. 
You have to say, Lord, I was wrong. You're like the Fonz from Happy Days. I was I was wrong. The Lord says, I am faithful and just to forgive you your sins if, if you confess. You know what confess means? Tell me what you did as if I didn't know what you already did. But we refuse to humble ourselves. Churches are dying today because we're too prideful. Families are being torn apart by pride. Marriages are being torn apart by pride. Businesses are being run into the ground because of pride. Relationships are being destroyed because of pride. And we will not humble ourselves and say, Lord, I was wrong. I was wrong when I watched it. I was wrong when I posted it. I was wrong when I read it. I was wrong when I went there. I was wrong when I did it. I was wrong when I refused to do it. Lord, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Ministries are being run in the flesh because we refuse to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I cannot do this. I can't do this. The scary thing is you can. You can do your ministry without the Lord. But it's not going to have any power. When's the last time we got low and said, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Please help me. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.